We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're part of the Blue Iron Network. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm all, as always, I'm here with Jason Patton. Jason, we're talking about the Bulls after a pretty rough loss to the Sacramento Kings, 112 to 103 on Monday night. Bulls got down big in the first half. They battled back with in the third quarter went on a run to get within striking distance in the fourth. In the fourth quarter, they just couldn't get over the hump. The Kings killing them with, you know, basically similar pick and roll actions uh, in crunch time, time and time again. And the Bulls offense just uh, just couldn't keep up. So Bulls lose 112-103. You pull up the Eastern Conference standings right now, and the Bulls are 41-27. and Sounds good, Jace. But they're now the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. That's as low as they've been in months. They're only a half game in front of the Boston Celtics for the fifth seed. The Celtics are surging 7-3 and in their last 10 games, led by basketball's best defense since January 1st. Uh, and what's in front of the Bulls, Jace? The toughest remaining schedule in the NBA. Uh, it's a rough time right now to be a Bulls fan, but uh, we did get some good news with the return of Alex Caruso. Yeah, so Alex Caruso came back we on Saturday against the Cavs, the second time he's come back against the Cavs this season, and the second time he's come back, played pretty well, helped spark the Bulls' defense. Bulls won that game. The vibes were uh, much better. They won. It was at 101.91, something like that. First time the Bulls had given up under 100 points since Caruso, I think, had come had exited the lineup a couple months ago. Uh, so the vibes were good. You you win that Cavs game. I know the Cavs were missing guys. Uh, Lowry didn't play. Jared Allen, we know, was out. Karis LeVert was still out. Still hold the team under 100 is nice. Caruso looked pretty good. Uh, you get a nice tough win against a team that's right there in the standings. You mentioned the standings. The Cavs, I believe, are now two games back now after they beat the Clippers in overtime and then the Bulls lost yesterday. Uh, so Caruso comes back, gets the win, vibes good. You you started what this West Coast road trip, 
three games at Sacramento to start theoretically the easiest game on this trip because you get then have at Utah at Phoenix to end it. And you, they come out and play maybe their worst half of the season. I mean, I know like the Warriors first half, maybe probably even worse, but that is the Warriors considering the opponent, arguably the worst half of their season going down by 20 points, uh, 63 43 after one half. I mean, it was just off most from the very beginning. Their first quarter, they shot six of 24 from the field. They had absolutely nothing going. They were getting punked by Darren Fox, punked by Demonte Sabonis, punked by Davion Mitchell. Zach Levine paid, played maybe his worst half uh, of the season. He had like five points on two of eight shooting, missed a point blank layup, just like no one around him. And he just short rimmed it right in front, right off the front rim. Vooch was getting pushed around. Uh, DeMar didn't really do much. Io was doing nothing to slow down Darren Fox. Caruso wasn't doing much to slow down Fox either. The bench played some nice minutes, but you get down 20 against this team. The Kings have not been good. And I, I know Fox has been much better in general overall, but since the bonus trade, I mean, I think they came in losers of four in a row. They have not been any good. And four and put, ten trade. Yeah, put forth that kind of effort. Like, they basically came in expecting to roll over this, this team that's we're playing out the string at the end of the season, not really in the mix for a playing tournament spot and you get your ass kicked. And then you may, they, they finally woke up and clearly Vooch and Zach and Zach noted this after the game, just like they were clearly embarrassed by the first half because they came out much more aggressive. Vooch met the challenge of the physicality that Sabonis and the Kings were playing with. Zach started driving the basket. He had eight free throws in the third quarter Had 22 of his 27 in the second half, but, Again, you can't. You, you, they and they had a chance. They were they got that lead down to one point. I noted this on Twitter. The Kobe White wide open three pointer that he missed that would have put the Bulls up to. I'm pretty convinced if he hits that three, the Bulls then cruise to victory. But he misses that one, and then the the Kings go on a run, go down seven. The Bulls go down seven. They never. I don't think they got within like four or closer than four the rest of the game. They might have gotten within a bucket again. I can't remember exactly, but. Uh, that kind of, that last little stretch there kind of decided the game. The Bulls, as you said, never got over the hump. And and but the bottom line is, you don't get down by twenty points. Don't come out and play soft. Don't with no effort. They were just getting beat to loose balls. They were getting pounded inside. There was the one play where Vucevic got a, an off a, a rebound, like just ripped out of his hands, and then he got dunked on by Sabonis, got elbowed in the face. It was like a perfect. It was just like emblematic of their terrible effort in the first half. And now you're in a situation where you, again, you have Utah, you have Phoenix X, you have Toronto at home on Monday. Then you start a five game road trip in Milwaukee. I think that starts the uh, the next night, uh, next Tuesday. I mean, that's a lot of really hard games. And like, while the road trip doesn't have like a ton of tough teams, there's still road games and the Bulls have not been playing good on the road lately. Like, I think they go to New York, like New Orleans, Washington. Uh, so like, those, I mean, those aren't gimme games. They, they just lost to their worst team left on the remaining schedule. So I put out a tweet yesterday after that first half. Like, I know the Bulls almost came back and won, but like, the Bulls can't play like this. Other, otherwise, they could be a playing tournament team. And like, that's crazy to think about how good they've been. I had a lot of people coming after me saying, "Oh, that's so dramatic." The Raptors are three games back. The Raptors are the seventh seed. They're only three games back. The Cavs are two games back. You mentioned the Celtics. Uh, I mean, the Celtics. I expect to pass the Bulls at this point. We'll see about the Cavs. Uh, they did get a big one, as I mentioned yesterday, but the Raptors, they've won four in a row. The Raptors just went to what I think Phoenix and Denver and won back to back. They just kicked the Lakers ass last night. That Raptors game next Monday, uh, is going to be huge. Like that's, if you lose that game, like, I mean, these next two games, I'm not expecting to win. Maybe, maybe they pull out one. It'd be great to at least get one of the bulls are due to beat a really good, really good team. 
But if you lose those two and you got, you're coming into that Toronto game where you're up, what, maybe one or two games on them for like the six or seven seed. Uh, it's getting a little per- precarious here for the Bulls, and it's just kind of a bummer, and especially a bummer after the, the Crusoe initial return against the Cavs. Uh, had the vibe seemingly good again, but came right back crashing down in this Kings. It was easily, aside from maybe that Warriors home game that I was at when they lost by 40, probably the most disappointing performance of the season. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are a few games that jump out. Uh, there was that game against Orlando in Orlando. Yeah. The second time they went there, that was just an absolute disaster. <laughs> DeRozan got dunked down by Jalen Suggs. That game was extremely embarrassing. How about the loss to the Houston Rockets? Yeah. I think that was another one. And then I was at the game against the Warriors when Levine went out in the opening seconds with a knee injury and they just got run off the floor. But uh, this game, as I tweeted after it, is in the team picture for the worst loss of the season. It's in the poll. And I will say the worst loss of the season. The Bulls have generally been very good against bum teams. They have a few of those bad losses, those mad. But I think before this, they only had like seven or eight losses against teams under 500 so in generally they've been very good against these bum teams which made like this such as uncharacteristic bad performance at a time where they really needed a good one so like to me schematically the big thing that stood out from the game was just the kings throwing two at demar every single time he touched the ball that definitely took him out of his comfort zone i don't have the exact numbers in front of me but the broadcast mentioned that demar was on pace to have his fewest field goal attempts in a game uh while this was going on he only took 17 attempts on the night you figure usually demar uh is a few shots higher than that but you know, every time they threw two at him, it seemed like he just had to get rid of the ball pretty quickly. Uh, and the Bulls didn't really know what to do. Like, I think having Caruso on the floor does help the ball movement a little bit. This is another spot where Lonzo is really going to help, both in like the volume three point shooting of him being able to like get up to three quickly when the, the ball starts to swing off DeRozan's trap or when he does get trapped. Uh, and then just like, you know, finding the open man too. It's like without Levine being at full strength and, you know, still not really putting a ton of pressure on the rim as a driver. Uh, he did it a few times in this game late in the game when the outcome was all basically decided already. He had a nice drive on some, some stat padding. <laughs> yeah. Picked up an and one. I mean, that put him down like, I think five or six with a couple of possessions left. Yeah. So, uh, but I would have liked to see more of that, right? Yeah, like, he did it. He did it in the third quarter, though. He went to the line yeah. eight times, and he admitted after the game that he like tiptoed into this game. He had he missed the Cavs game with this knee injury, right. the knee soreness, and he clearly was just like. And I feel like this has happened like a lot. I was looking at numbers yesterday, and it it seemed it feels like he is often just coming into games, just like not really looking to force his will on games. Yesterday was very obvious because he was just chucking up bad shots. The defense is bad, not attacking the rim. And he realized in the second half, like I need to go to the rim. I understand he might not be able to do this for 40 minutes, 35, 40 minutes on this knee, but like, it seems like he can do it sometimes, even if he's not quite as explosive as he can be. He was being aggressive in that third quarter and getting to the line. Like, you got to do that maybe earlier in games, maybe pace yourself a bit better instead of just like really easing into it to start. And then like getting going as the game goes on, you just can't afford to get down by 20 points. I mean, you look, you blink and like the, the bench did a decent job in that second quarter, getting the score back into something decent. And then the starters came back in and just got absolutely worked. So like got to bring it in the first half. Can't just save it all for the second half. Zach, the Zach thing is just tough. We know he's playing through this injury. He knows it. 
it's I, and I tweeted this day about the Zach Max contract stuff because I've seen more people talking like debating whether Zach can get a max. And I'm just gonna say right now he's gonna get the max. I think the Bulls will gladly pay it unless there's a situation out there where there's like another star, like a younger star, someone kind of on his level that you can like sign and trade him for. You're not letting him walk. You're most likely keeping him. If you can always trade him down the road. I mean, I feel like I don't want to get too much into this just because it's like, I feel like it's silly to even think about, but I feel like I'm starting to see this creep in a little more. When I think it really is the, the knee has just looked at the, the difference in his, his efficiency, his production, uh, just like how how he's looked on the court. It's just been miles different since that knee injury. He was playing like an all-NBA player in December. He was like average like 28, 29 a game on like last year's efficiency. And just since that injury, he just hasn't been as good, not consistently as good, can't really take over games. And it's clearly just made him a much lesser player and made, has made the Bulls a much worse team. I got to say, I must curate my social media pretty well because I haven't really seen anyone questioning if Levine should get that contract, I've had people in my mentions. I've had some people in my mentions. I saw somebody, a few commenters on Bloggable talking about it. Uh, saw a few, a couple people like on my timeline, kind of just not saying like don't do it, but like wondering aloud about it. So like, it's not like full throat, like all oh, the Bulls can't max well, it, but like it's just starting to seep in. Uh, while they're the mo- the big like thing is all like, his basketball IQ stinks, defense stinks. And, like we know those are his flaws, but like. We saw him earlier this season playing, I thought, better defense uh, with next to DeMar when he was playing at a high level, like when both guys were playing off each other so well. The basketball, like decision-making, basketball IQ decision-making stuff was not nearly as pronounced. And I think he could be forcing stuff sometimes with this knee problem, frustration, stuff like that. I really don't think how he's played the last couple months or two is reflective of how good he is in general. I really do think the knee is just completely fucked up his season. The worst thing that could happen to the franchise is Zach Levine goes somewhere else in free agency. If that <laughs> happens, that's like red alert. Now, what are they doing in the future? They're already out uh, a couple of draft picks. One more for Vooch in 2023. Top eight protected pick for DeRozan in 2025. Yeah, I mean, they need Levine long term. We had this debate last time he was a free agent. And then at that point, it was a debate whether or not Zach Levine was going to be worth. I think it was a four year, $80 million contract. Well, Uh, From the moment Zach's gotten on the floor, he's out-earned that contract. That's been an extremely team-friendly deal for the Bulls. And I fully agree with your analysis that it's the knee that has hurt him. And remember, at the beginning of the year, he had a thumb injury too. So it's like Levine is sort of the personification in a lot of ways of just how snake-bitten the Bulls have been this year. Uh, He's been excellent, but like you know, being hampered by the injury has slowed him down from playing it. Like you said, basically an all NBA level. Uh, There's no doubt the bulls have to give him that money and it should be no debate. Even if the bulls get swept out of the first round, you have to re-sign Zach Levine to a max contract. That's going to be a tradable contract. He's still 27 years old. His birthday, I think was just a few days ago. Yeah. Uh, So he's going to be a good player for the bulls for a long time. Now I do think that like, the defensive question marks around DeRozan and Levine are starting to show up a little bit more. I think, you know, particularly their help defense has been pretty weak. Uh, We talk about Levine's just like sort of lack of awareness sometimes on offense, but like it's defense defensively too. And then you throw in Vooch who like with Vooch, you can kind of only play one defensive style, right? Like, Vooch is pretty good at keeping things in front of him, taking up space, not making a mistake on his own responsibilities. But it's not like he's the sort of center who's going to be like, you know, come that nowhere to clean up other people's mistakes. Uh, So, yeah, the Bulls just have a tough 
question in front of them. It's sort of like, how do you, like, can you build just at a foundational level? It's like, can you build a contender with Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan as your main pieces? If you would have asked this question to a national audience a year ago, you would have been laughed out for even suggesting that could be a possibility. But what we saw when the Bulls were fully healthy is that when you have two absolute lockdown defenders in Caruso and in ball, that can serve to cover up a lot of a team's shortcomings. And, you know, we saw it with Caruso since he's come back last night, he had the play where he stopped a Kings fast break sprinting end to end. He passed up Derek Jones on the play who gave up on it. Basically Caruso gets to, I'm, I'm, I think it was a Matu, Matu on the Kings and uh, he blocked the shot. So, you know, immediately Caruso coming back makes you feel better about the team's chances, but that Kings game was just such a letdown of a performance during a game. The bulls had to win their easiest opponent against a difficult schedule. Uh, Extremely disappointing. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and you uh, talk about. I mean, this I, this is a perfect uh, segue to some Alonzo update. Billy Donovan gave an update on Alonzo. Uh, I believe he's starting to do some like lateral work. Uh, but the, I think the notable update there was that his like bone bruise that he was dealing with before the meniscus surgery has not healed, which is very I feel like pretty troubling given it's been what six seven weeks now, and that he's basically Billy said that like uh, he there's like no timetable as long as it like there's, because they're still waiting on this bone bruise to heal. It's like the meniscus might be getting better, but like that bone bruise is still an issue. So like that really raised some red flags, uh, that update on him yesterday. I had, I've already said how I'm worried about Lonzo coming back or just like how effective he'll be. And this certainly did not, uh, help my, help my feelings on that there. Yeah. I think we just got to hope for the best with them. We also, we did get some news also on Patrick Williams that hopefully by the end of the month, or before the end of the month that he'll be back. Uh, it seems like Billy would prefer to bring him at Eisenman off the bench, which we have talked about makes perfect sense. I don't know how you can give a 20 year old, like coming, uh, coming back from so much time off right back in the starting lineup. That's just really tough. Uh, so we got Crusoe back. Hopefully he'll help the defense a bit against the schedule. But I, we'll see on Pat. It sounds like Pat would be possibly next in the next week or two. And then Lonzo seems almost up in the air right now. Uh, hopefully he'll be back. Even if he does come back, I don't know how effective he'll be. Uh, but I mean, they really could use his three point shooting for sure. You mentioned because I mean, yesterday was an example of maybe one of Iowa's probably worst games of the season. Oh, yeah. five from three passing up. He was hesitant to shoot. 
uh, struggled a bit against De'Aaron Fox in those pick and roll situations. And the Kings were setting some pretty vicious screens. I know Stacey King was really getting mad and calling out moving screens. And while, yeah, there were probably some moving screens in there. They're not, we know they're not going to call them all teams get, we, they get away with it all the time. We talked about that after the heat game when Bam out of bio was setting those screens. You got to do your best to fight over them. It was a rough night for IO yesterday. And just another example, his three point shooting has definitely kind of regressed a bit back down to more where we might've thought it would be. And that's a situation where you miss Lonzo because I missed some really good looks from three last night. I think he missed a really open one in the fourth quarter. Uh, he was not the only one. Vooch missed the wide open three in the fourth. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. missed a wide open three in the fourth. Kobe missed the one that I mentioned earlier. I think Zach missed one other one. I believe they were two of 10 in the fourth. So they had their chances in this game uh, after the brutal first half. And unfortunately, they just fell short. They're in a tough spot right now. And I don't know. It's just definitely easy to be pessimistic about what's going on right now. But man, they still are 41 and 27. They still are fourth. We've seen the Sixers have some struggles here the last couple of games. Right, right after we were typing them up as pro- the probable favorite. I believe right after they got their ass beat by the Nets, right. uh, they lost to the Nuggets yesterday, and they almost they should have lost, I think, to the Magic, I think, over the weekend. So they've they've kind of come back down to earth after their little honeymoon phase. But uh, we'll see. Tough games coming up. Anything else about the Bulls? I want to talk about the tournament a bit to wrap this up. Yeah, let's talk about the tournament. All right. So, yeah, NCAA tournament. We got the, what, the first four games are happening tonight. This is Tuesday we're recording. There are games tonight. Uh, and then obviously the first round opens up on Thursday. So Ricky, as Mr. College Basketball man, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, guess just general thoughts on who's the favorites going in. Obviously, I'd love to hear your thoughts about Illinois, who I'm very down on right now. Uh, and, and any players you're really looking at, whether it's just like guys in general, guys maybe for the Bulls in the draft, anything like that. Just give me your tournament takes. All right. I guess like big picture overview. The first question I always ask myself at the start of every NCAA tournament is, are the good teams actually good? (laughs) Last year, I thought it was very obvious that the top teams were so much better than the rest of the field. That would be Gonzaga, who entered the national title game undefeated, uh, and Baylor, who was a team that, you know, would have been a one seed the year before, just had a phenomenal record, three great guards, everything you look for in March. So that was like a pretty easy title game to predict. I always do the instant predictions on SBNation.com. I felt very good about that one. I did get the matchup right, but I picked the winner wrong because I had Gonzaga winning it. And of course, Baylor went on to beat them. (laughs) This year, I think it's a much bigger question of how good are the top teams. I would not be shocked if this is a year where a one seed or a two seed doesn't win it. Uh, With that being said, like the thing I think that is sort of the the big thing that I'm noticing entering the tournament is that most of the contenders don't have good guard play. Uh, a team like Auburn would be the biggest example of this. They have Jabari Smith Jr., six foot ten freshman forward, absolutely elite shooter. He's basically like if Clay Thompson was a power forward, but. For as good as he is and as good as his starting center next to him is Walker Kessler, who might be a first round pick, outstanding defensive shot blocker in the middle for Auburn. But their guard play is just so poor with Wendell Green, Katie Johnson. So, you know, it's tough for me to pick a team like that with poor guard play going into March. And, you know, you see it on Duke, too. Like Duke has gotten a little bit better play lately out of Jeremy Roach. But Duke losing Coach K's last home game to North Carolina, that was hilarious. And then they blow (laughs) a very winnable ACC tournament title game against Virginia Tech, uh, where they basically just got run out of the gym. And 
their point guard play is pretty questionable too. Like I said, they lost to a terrible Q's team in that first round of the AC tournament or their first game, of the ACC tournament, they almost wow. lost the that terrible Jim Beheim team. I was going to be mad if that happened, but go ahead. So, so bad guard play around yeah. the country. The first thing that stands out. And that's why I'm sort of like uh, a little, a little unsure of how good the top teams actually are. Uh, I picked Arizona to win my bracket because I think they're the most complete team in the country. They have an NBA lottery pick at Ben Matherin. What are they? 30 and two? Something like that. Yeah. They're 30 and two on the season. Something like that. And they just smoked UCLA in the PAC 12 tournament title game. I thought they looked phenomenal in that game. They won that one without starting point guard Kirk Creesa, who's out with an ankle injury. Uh, He's sort of like a big point guard who's going to play three-point line to three-point line. He's like not a very explosive driver, not going to put any pressure on the rim or get to the foul line, but he can hit shots, and so he is an important piece for them. But they have another guard off the bench, Justin Kyer, who uh, is better at getting to the rim. I think like there's not a huge drop-off with Kyer as long as everything else is clicking for them offensively. So they go with the two-center attack. You got Christian Coloco, and then uh, Tabellis is their other big man. So they basically start two centers with Ben Matherin, and then I love their uh, sophomore wing, Daylon Terry, who's like a 6'6", 6'7", wing, a very long 7'1", 7'2", wingspan. Can't really shoot it, but a good ball handler, good passer. So I just think they're the most complete team in the country because they have a backcourt star in Matherin. They have so much size and rebounding up front with Tabellis and Coloco. Uh, and if Creasa does come back, it's just like another good guard for them uh, who can hit shots. They have a solid seven or eight man rotation. And I think they got a pretty uh, favorable path through the bracket. So I got them in the title game. Uh, to me, the other thing that really jumps out is that the West region is just absolutely loaded. Gonzaga is in that region. They're the number one overall seed. That should mean that you get the easiest path through the bracket, but instead they got Duke is the two seed in that region. Now, I don't know if Duke's going to make it to the elite because <laughs> they've been struggling lately uh, ahead of Coach K's last dance. But Duke beat Gonzaga earlier this year. They still have a super talented starting five led by Paolo Bancaro, uh, another certain top three pick uh, in the upcoming NBA draft. They got another lottery pick in Adrian Griffin. They might have another one in Mark Williams, who's a center with a 7 7 wingspan. Uh, Duke is really talented. Will they be able to put it all together in March? I'm not so sure. You got Texas Tech in that uh, bracket, which is just like an elite defensive team. They're all 23 years old. They're all like 6'6", so they get after it. Just classic Texas Tech defense. Uh, You have a UConn team that I really like in that region, and you got Memphis as Gonzaga's potential second-round opponent with Penny Hardaway as head coach. Uh, they've been awesome since Amoni Bates left the team, basically. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they've been one of the best teams in college basketball since that happened after a slow start. I think that them versus Gonzaga would be a hell of a second round matchup with Chet Holmgren versus Jalen Duran, two great freshman bigs who are going to be top 10 picks. Uh, Holmgren might go number one overall. If you haven't seen Chet Holmgren, Please watch him at Gonzaga in March Madness. People have like a visceral reaction to seeing Chet on the court because seven foot one seventy or whatever he is, foot, yeah, like one ninety basically. He's basically <laughs> Steph Curry's weight, and he's seven foot tall, but he plays like Zion. That's the thing. Like his frame belies his style of play. He's an incredible finisher at the basket. Uh, also, good three point shooting touch. Good passer. Uh, just like makes quick decisions with the ball. So I really like Chet's game, but. 
Uh, I'm sure March is going to be a referendum on sort of how Chet stacks up against some of the best teams, best players in the country, especially after coming out of, you know, the small conference Gonzaga plays in the West Coast Conference and uh, going against a really loaded region in the West. So, yeah, those are some of the first things that jump out to me about. Do you, do you have Gonzaga coming out of that region? No, I got Texas Tech, actually. Right. And it's most it's not really me doubting Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga is incredible. I would say entering the tournament, they're the best team in the country, probably, or they have the highest ceiling of any yeah. team uh, because they do have a good point guard in Andrew Nemhard, who was Florida's point guard like two, three years ago. Well, now he's still in college basketball. He was always pretty good. So even though he's not spectacular, he's like a very steady six, five guard who can hit threes, organize the offense. Uh, now he's become like, you know, one of the better guards in college basketball as that position is kind of thinned out. Then you got Holmgren, absolute stud, player of the year candidate, uh, such a special, unique talent. Uh, and then he's paired with Drew Timmy, who they was their center last year. Uh, the dude with the mustache. He's always like taunting like a WWF wrestler after every oh. basket. Uh, he's a lot of fun. So, no, I basically picked against Gonzaga, even though I think they're awesome, because the path is too difficult. Like I could see them losing to Memphis. I could see them losing to UConn and I could see them losing to either Texas tech or Duke. Now they're going to be favored in every one of those games. Right. So I could absolutely be overthinking this. Hey, and, I mean, upsets uh, happen all the time, man. Got it. Some, you got to pick upsets them happen all the time. And then yeah. the one thing I'll say is like, you know, Gonzaga's never won the national title. They have been to the title game twice in the last four tournaments. Yeah. So, you know, there's always this stigma that, like, you can't win the big one until you actually do it. I remember, like, when I started covering this, that was the joke about Villanova because Villanova was, like, always going out in the first or second round, and then they won two titles in, what, three years. Uh, same thing with Virginia. You know, they become the first one seed to lose to a 16 seed. Virginia's defense first, super, super slow-paced style can't win in March. That was the narrative. Well, the next year they win the national <laughs> So, yeah, I do kind of feel like, you know, the monkey's on your back just until you, like, break through and then you sort of realize how silly the narratives always were. Guess what, dude? It's a single elimination tournament. You got to win six games in a row to win the national championship. Uh, There's no margin for error in a knockout style bracket. So that's why it's so difficult. Uh, I really do believe in this Gonzaga team. But, you know, when I was filling out my bracket, something was telling me, just don't pick them because it's a tough road. So we'll see. Fair enough. Uh, how about Illinois? I, like I said, I am down. I'm so down on them after they sucked it up against Indiana. And it wasn't just that game. Like there was, there was some in the moment, just whatever heatedness. Cause I was pissed as hell that they lost, but they win the big 10. First time they've, whatever they share the big Ten with Wisconsin. First time they've done that since 2005. Uh, and then they come out and just lay a total leg against Indiana in their first big 10 tournament game. It was the problem was just the way they did it. Their, their scoring droughts, the dumb turnovers, miss free throws, just the, the issues that they've had all season, the Curbelo roller coaster ride. Uh, and I feel like so much just rides on which version of him they get. And it obviously changes like so much, even like throughout games. Uh, because he has stuff where he completes like the most ridiculous pass you'll ever see once minute. And then he blows the game winning layup a couple minutes later. I, I said that I think they're going to go on the first round. In my actual brackets, I do have I did did pick them to at least beat Chattanooga, but I don't, I didn't have them getting, going any further than that. Uh, I mean, they obviously have an All American with Kofi. They have some they have a seat some experience with Trent Demonte Williams. You have Plummer as well, who was awful against Indiana, but he can shoot. 
like they have the talent there to make a run, but just like I've seen so much too much of like the the bad shit from them in too many games this year. I feel like it's just going to cost them when it matters. Ricky, your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not proud to say it, but I had them losing to Chattanooga in my bracket, and I don't feel good about it though. But because I mean, Chattanooga might sort of have the type of team that can compete with them just because they have a former McDonald's All American at the center, a, a, a big ho- another hoss. Yeah. Yeah. Who's a uh, 6'9, 250. Like he can actually give Kofi some trouble. You don't see a big man that talented at the mid major level, let alone one that's 23 years <laughs> old. Because despite being a McDonald's All American, D'Souza, who got caught up in the FBI investigation in college basketball that uh, basically swept through the sport in 2019. He just never turned pro. So, uh, you know, he stayed in college. He was never identified as an NBA prospect. Still a pretty solid big man. So I think that, uh, you know, Chattanooga is going to have a chance against Illinois, uh, but they won their conference tournament, the Southern in overtime by one point over Furman. So like, it's not a powerhouse team by any means, but uh, in terms of Illinois, To me, like they're the most balanced team in the Big Ten. Pretty much every other Big Ten team has a glaring weakness on one side of the floor. Purdue's offense is incredible, but their defense totally sucks. Similar story for Iowa, who's been, you know, they've been good lately, but I think their defense is still outside the top 75 in the country. I believe so entering the NCAA tournament. Uh, Illinois can bring it on both ends of the floor, but like, you know, they have their limitations. We saw what Loyola was able to do against Kofi Coburn last year uh, in terms of, you know, running him in ball screen defense, making him defend in space. He struggled to do that. I think Coburn can play a pretty good conservative style as long as they have guys who can hit shots around him. So it's going to come down to Alfonso Plummer, Trent Frazier. Uh, you know, are you going to get a Coleman Hawkins game where he <laughs> randomly hits a few threes? He was better for Illinois down the stretch than he was uh, during the conference season. So, you know, that, that doesn't factor in the Curbelo roller coaster. Like, he's <laughs> like one of the most uneven players in the country. He's spectacular one moment. He's the worst player you've ever seen the next moment. I love watching Curbelo. I said that on a uh, SB Nation, like, Twitter spaces, and immediately someone, like, tweeted it and made fun of me for saying it. But, <laughs> you know, Curbelo has his flaws as a player, but he's certainly not boring. That's one. Yeah, I mean, it's like someone brought up how he's like the Javi Baez. Obviously, Javi was like became like an MVP caliber player there for a few years for the Cubs. So like Carbello is not that high, but like, like just the flair and the highs can be ridiculously high, but then just like some of the lows are just so ugly. And like he's caught, I mean, even like at the end of that Indiana game, besides the missed layup, there was one possession where he dribbled around for like 15 seconds, almost lost it like three times. And it's like that kind of shit that he pulls off. Uh, I guess Illinois also, also see if Jacob Grandison plays. He's been dealing with a shoulder injury. It's usually their starting power forward. Be nice if he could play. But yeah, ultimately, like, I just don't feel good about this Illinois team. I couldn't ultimately pick against them just because I went there and I love Illinois, but uh, I am somewhat of a doomer there. And it seems like you are too in, in, the, in their case. Yeah, uh, I got Loyola going to the Elite Eight. Though. Loyola, so do I. Uh, we'll there, they, no, they bought Nova in the sec- second round after they, yeah. who they played for Ohio State, right? Ohio State first round. Going to be a uh, tough matchup. I mean, Ohio yeah. State's got two. Jalen Dell's really good. Guys. Yeah. Yeah, EJ Liddell, Malachi Branham are both potential first-round picks this year. I really like both those guys as prospects, but uh, Ohio State's struggling going into the tournament. 
I think Loyola, you know, they lose their coach in Porter Moser. They lose Cam Krautwig and his CPD mustache. But it's mostly the same team from last year, the team plus, that went. Plus six. Denzel Valentine's brother <laughs> coaching. Yeah, our boy Denzel Valentine's <laughs> brother, Drew Valentine, 30 years old, head coach Loyola. Uh, when they when Loyola has Mark Marquise Kennedy in the lineup, he's a guard from Brother Rice. Uh, he's a great defensive guard. They're just a totally different team. He was hurt at the end of conference season, came back for the conference tournament. They're able to get the automatic bid in the MVC. So I like the way the bracket lays out for Loyola. Certainly like Ohio state has like serious talent on that team. It doesn't always seem to mesh together though. So like that's a nail biter, but I think that Loyola can possibly win that game as long as it's a close game down the stretch. And then Villanova, like Villanova, very good, won the big East tournament, uh, but they don't have like the type of talent that Villanova usually has, yeah. right? Like, they're led by Colin Gillespie, who is basically Ryan Archie Jack yeah. 2.0. Uh, he is a, he was Big East player of the year as like a graduate student this year. And just like, isn't someone who is a super dynamic point guard. He's more of like a caretaker game manager type. Who's going to hit big shots. I think that like, that's going to be a low scoring game. Loyola versus Villanova. If Loyola can advance to the round of 32, and that's a game I think they can win just by like keeping the pace down, controlling possessions, and letting Lucas Williamson cook. So uh, it's going to be a fun tournament, man. I think that it's pretty wide open in the I'm field. curious, besides Illinois, who do you have in the Big Ten going the furthest? Um, off the top of my head, I think, well, I know I have Iowa in the Sweet 16. So I was very tempted to pick Iowa over Kansas. I did just for the hell of it. I know they've been playing really great. Keegan Murray's been awesome. Uh, I know you mentioned the defensive problems. So I was like, I need to have some big 10 teams going far, even though I have no idea sucking. You know, point guard problems too. Jordan Bohannon's yeah. your point guard there. He had zero points in their NCAA tournament loss to Oregon last year. Uh, you know, if he was an accountant instead of a, <laughs> I would feel better about Iowa's chances. But that's probably unnecessarily mean. He hit a big shot in the big 10 tournament championship game to uh, clinch the title for them, banked in a deep three on an otherwise horrible possession. But Iowa's been playing good ball lately. Like they can possibly beat Kansas in the sweet 16. That'd be a really fun matchup uh, to see Keegan Murray, as you mentioned, future top 10 NBA pick. He's just playing unbelievable ball. The question I've been asking my buddies over text while uh, conference tournament season was going was, would you trade Patrick Williams for Keegan Murray right now? Uh, I probably wouldn't because I still believe in Pat. I know I wanted to trade Pat for an established player. (laughs) uh, You know, for a rookie coming in, no, I I don't think I would. I think that Pat... Uh, has way more defensive upside than Keegan, but Keegan is a—he's—he's uh, he's really good. You can make it buckets, no doubt. Gets yeah, buckets. Yeah. Great shooter, confident shooter, uh, knows the spots on the floor. So it'll be fun to watch Iowa. I don't really know what Big Ten team I have going the furthest. I Purdue? know I have Purdue in the Sweet Sixteen, but I have them losing to Kentucky. Okay, and I believe I have Iowa losing to Kansas. So that might uh, be it. <laughs> you know what? While I despise the program aesthetically, so Wisconsin, Wisconsin. <laughs> They have a favorable path. They're in the easiest bracket, I think, in the Midwest, right? And uh, yes, I'm going to go see. I'm I'm going to the tournament on Friday night. I'm going to see Wisconsin play Colgate at cool. the Pfizer, at Pfizer Forum. So that'll be cool. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it all comes down to the health jo- of Johnny. Johnny Davis's ankle, uh, right? Top yeah. pick. He was injured on just a straight up dirty play. <laughs> yeah. Nebraska, the older McGowan brother got him. 
uh, on a fast break, not really a play on the ball, totally unnecessary, but uh, I, I couldn't, I, couldn't have, I just feel like Wisconsin's been the luckiest team Wisconsin. in the country all year. And I like, yeah. I have them losing early just because I, I also hate them. So. It's very much a, you know, it's Johnny Davis's show. Yeah. For Wisconsin. And how healthy is he going to be is one. And then two, it's like, you know, the way Wisconsin typically plays, they just like put him on the block and let Johnny Davis get buckets in the post. You don't really see college teams doing that with a six foot four guard, but Wisconsin doesn't hesitate to do it. They have a pretty decent freshman point guard. And then a couple bigs who look like the Wisconsin players you've been watching for the last <laughs> yeah. year. So uh, I could see them making a run though, just because Davis is a star. Yeah. They control the ball. Well, and, you know, they have enough size up front to compete with anyone. Yeah. Um, finish up here. Anybody just like NBA draft wise, like obviously there's the big names out there I, with the Bulls being what, like a mid first round ish team. Hopefully they don't fall into the lottery or maybe they do, they do fall in the lottery. Maybe they get into the top <laughs> to the top four. But anybody you're keeping an eye out. To, uh, NBA draft wise. Here. Yeah. You know what? I would say watch that Loyola Ohio state game because Loyola is the local college team and Ohio state is two guys. The bulls could maybe draft uh, EJ Liddell from the Southern part of Illinois, Belleville, Belleville right? Illinois. Yep. Uh, he was a great high school player in the state. Now Should've he's gone to Illinois. Six, seven, 240 pound forward, big improvement in his game has come from the three point line this year up to a 37, 38% three point shooter. Uh, just a dominant college player who like, can he transition to an NBA role player similar to the way Iowa was able to, I think that, you know, Liddell is just sort of a hybrid big is kind of interesting. I like his offensive game. He's pretty strong. And I think like meets the physical threshold to play in the NBA for sure. And then I like Branham too, who is just a really, really good three point shooter, uh, you know, runs off screens, hit over 42% from three this year. He was someone who I think in the recruiting rankings was like barely top 40, but now he's likely to be a one and done and enter the draft. So he's not a guy who's going to create a bunch off the dribble, but he is a really good off ball shooter and score. So uh, I think watch that game, watch Ohio state. So you can see, get a look at those two prospects. And then, man, I mean, there's like a million guys I can yeah. touch right for, for players you want to keep an eye on, but uh, let's see. I think. Kansas with two wings, Christian Brown and uh, Oshai Igbaji. Both of those guys could potentially be in the Bulls range. They're both sort of uh, shooting guards. Igbaji's a senior, uh, better athlete, better defensive player. Uh, he was shooting above his head this year for a while, but he's made pretty serious strides with his three-point shot. So he's someone who could potentially come and make an impact. Christian Brown's good, too. Uh, and then, you know, just Duke has so many prospects being able to watch Paolo Bancaro is awesome. He's one of my favorite players in the country. Adrian Griffin, same thing. Trevor Keels, Mark Williams, they can have four first round picks on that team, which will make it funny when they end up coming up short and coach K's last ever. <laughs> Seems like it's going to happen given the way they they've been playing and scuffling along. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a fun tournament. I love the tournament every year it gets underway. Always. Gets underway for real on Thursday. The you know the, the two best days on the sports calendar, in my opinion. Thursday, Friday, Friday, yeah. the NCAA tournament. So it's going to be fun. I'm already very tired. Got a million things I need to keep track of at work, but uh, 
Can't wait. Love that was exciting, man. I'm super excited. I've never been to the tournament. It's going to be super exciting to go. Uh, Illinois plays like at, because I'm going to that night session in, at, uh, in Milwaukee. Illinois is playing at that time. So I have to find a bar to watch Illinois play Chattanooga and then watch Wisconsin later. I think, I think the other game in Milwaukee is like, I think it's LSU. Who are they playing? Iowa State, I think is the other. It's like the early night game in in Milwaukee. So, uh, so it'll be interesting, but yeah, looking forward to as well. College, even though I don't follow college basketball as much as I used to, tournament's always awesome. Obviously, I'm hoping Illinois proves me wrong, proves us wrong, and can make a little run here. It's, they've never, they haven't been to the Sweet 16 since the 2005 season. So, uh, even though I picked against them, I do think that they have the talent to make a run. Right? Yeah, I feel like Underwood needs it too, especially after failing to make the second weekend with a number one seed last year. Yeah. Wants to like keep the good you know, good vibes going around the program. You don't know if Kofi's coming back next year. Like in this era of college basketball, where there's so much more player movement via the transfer portal, like you, you really don't know what Illinois is going to look like. Yeah, next I, guess, year. I guess they could, could have put a big bag down for him, but like, I know, I know they, they like honored him on senior night, even though he's yeah. not a senior, like anticipating that he's gone. Like, I don't think Kofi's going to be much of an NBA player. Right. He's so damn slow, not skilled enough, but like, and maybe Illinois does put down or whatever they work with the NIL stuff that he could just make bank pl- playing coming back at Illinois, yeah. but can't count on that. I know they have a pretty good, some good recruits coming in, but yeah, I mean, it would be another, whatever round one or round two loss would be super disappointing. They, and they haven't been in the second weekend since the national championship game run. So got to do something here. So we'll see. Good stuff here. We should probably wrap it up. Uh, as uh, as mentioned before, Bulls coming up Wednesday. We got at Utah Friday night. They'll be at Phoenix. Two really tough games. I'm not expecting wins, but again, they are due as fuck to win a game against a really good team. So if they can grab one of those games, I mean, the Suns don't have Chris Paul. The Jazz are good, but like they're not. They haven't been quite as dominant this season. The Bulls beat the Jazz earlier this year. Uh, maybe they can pull out a win. That'd be really nice to get one of these games here before they come back home and play Toronto. So that's what's coming up here for the Bulls. As always, for us here at Cash, shout out to the Blue Wire Network, please. If you like what we're doing here at Cash, go check out all the other great pods. For us here at Cash, please rate and review us. Give us those five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all those good places. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Bulls underscore J. Ricky is at SBN underscore Ricky. Go check out all of Ricky's great uh, college basketball coverage with the tournament coming up over at SBNation.com. And then, as always, shout out to Fuzzgun for our intro for this season. From Jason Ricky, this has been Cash Considerations, HI Bulls Podcast. Talk to you guys next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.